This podcast is brought to you by MetPro, a world-renowned concierge nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle coaching company. MetPro is a proven platform to help people transform their bodies. Metabolic profiling is a process that allows MetPro to get a baseline to see exactly how your body is responding against a very specific set of variables. Their experts are trained to take those results and translate that into simple action steps. What you should eat, how you should train, and what your strategy should be to obtain your goals. MedPro's coaches are not only educated experts in their field, but they're empathetic to people that have demanding schedules and often stressful lives. They will work with you one-on-one to help you identify the best nutrition and fitness strategy that is going to work for your personal goals and lifestyle needs. And as a Coaching You listener, you can receive a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. To claim this offer, head over to metpro.co slash coaching you. Again, that's metpro.co slash coaching you to receive your free assessment and consultation with a MetPro coach. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I, I'm telling you today, Pat Williams, the most prolific author that I know. And John Gordon's like my mentor and the guy that's got so many books out there, but he makes John look like he's in kindergarten. Pat Williams, uh, who I worked with with the Orlando Magic, went 51 years in the NBA. Uh, he has written his 100th plus book. 100th. And so today we're going to talk to him about something I really believe in strongly about building teams and about leadership. He just wrote a great book called Character Carved in Stone. And I'm telling you, it's all about West Point and all about 12 stones that they have on their great grounds at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Coach K does the forward. I think you'll find it incredibly interesting. But after this timeout, Let's listen to Pat Williams. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, Fast Draw. Fast Draw bridges the gap between whiteboarding in the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scout reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I am so excited today to have one of my friends and mentors, one of my coaches, 
over my years in the NBA, the incomparable Pat Williams. Welcome, my friend. Brendan, wonderful to hear from you, and I'm uh, looking forward to our chat. Thanks for calling. Well, hey, listen, uh, you know, I've, I think I have half of the books that you've written, uh, you know, and I love every one of them, and I, I, I borrow, I don't steal, I borrow pieces of each book in my talks, uh, because I'm not, I get about a third of the price that you charge when you speak. But, <laughs> but as a disclaimer to our uh, audience, which is all across the U.S. and the world, actually, uh, of coaches and stuff, uh, let's let's tell them about our background together. Uh, you know that uh, in my 30 years in the NBA, your journey this week, I was so excited to hear this was your 50th year in, in the NBA. Congratulations. Well, thanks, uh, Brendan. We, I've been around since uh, 1968, uh, various uh, NBA cities, Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, back to Philadelphia. And then 33 years ago, we moved to Orlando to uh, help launch the Orlando Magic as an expansion team. So if, if you count it all up, it's it's 51 years. Jeez. And uh, I still have a hard time believing where did all those years go? Yep. Well, you know, we, I can remember now that I, 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 one of my dear friends is the coach at Louisiana Lafayette, which is the old uh, Raging Cajuns, as you know. And I can remember one night you and I were sitting there together. I, as a young protege scout for the Atlanta Hawks, and I'm sitting next to this legend, uh, Pat Williams, and we're there to see a kid by the name of Andrew Tony. Uh, and and then you had this great habit of leaning over to us young guys and said, "Hey, Brendan, how's this Andrew Tony?" And I tell you everything I know about Andrew Tony, and you already knew everything about Andrew Tony. And if I'm not mistaken, did you draft him eighth? Well, actually, it was tenth. Tenth in uh, 1980. Yep. We had from a prior trade. Uh, with the Indiana Pacers, we sent a young forward years before. His name was Melvin Bennett. Wow. And we, we sent, sent him yeah. up to Indiana. Yeah, we, and we got their first-round pick in 1980. And uh, we, we uh, knew Tony. We'd seen him. We, we had great um, <laughs> interest in him. And sure enough, uh, he, he was there at uh, the 10th pick. And we took him. Uh, and... Well, let's put it this way, Brendan. People, unfortunately, have forgotten uh, what a great player he was. He, uh, his career ended prematurely due to foot and ankle problems that he just couldn't overcome. But for about a five-year period, uh, there was probably, well, there weren't too many guards uh, who were more um, destructive than Andrew. Yeah. He was amazing, and and I think if I'm not mistaken, that, that was the year that you brought Billy Cunningham into coach, and and our buddy Chuck Daly came as his assistant well, with the great Jack McMahon, right? Well, Brendan, here we, we, Billy became the head coach in the fall of 1977. Okay, uh, he he replaced Gene Shue, right? And, uh, and, and Billy, when he took the job, said, I want Jack McMahon to stay, but I need an assistant. And he said, I'd like to try and see if we could get Chuck Daly. 
Well, at that time, Chuck was the head coach at the University of Pennsylvania, but we had gotten signals uh, that Chuck was interested in getting into the pro game. So I went over to visit with Chuck. I remember after practice sitting in the palestra, uh, talking to Chuck about joining Billy's staff, and Chuck wanted to do it. Uh, We negotiated. Uh, Chuck said to me, I've got to have at least 35,000 before I can do it. And I said, okay, Chuck, we can do that. And Chuck resigned. He left Penn, came right away to join Billy's staff. And that's how Chuck Daly's pro career began. I know. I'm so blessed to have been uh, with him the last 12 years he coached and uh, in Detroit and New Jersey. And then, of course, when you brought us with John Gabriel to Orlando Magic with the incomparable Julius Irving, that was what a treat. What a treat to be with those guys and you. Uh, you're a great leader, Pat. But when I read this, and I read everything you write, so when I pick up character carved in stone the other day, and I read about the 12 core virtues of West Point, which I'm really into West Point for leadership, I said, this could be the best work you've ever done, brother. That's how good it is. So tell me about well, I, how, why you got why you did it. First of all, I love well, it. Brendan. Here, here's what happened uh, a few years ago. Uh, the athletic director there, Boo Corrigan, invited me to come up mm-hmm. and speak uh, to the Army uh, team, as men and women's teams, all sports, and the coaches. I agreed to do it. I went up there, had a marvelous time doing that, and then uh, after I was finished with the talk, uh, they gave me a tour of the campus. And that's a beautiful setting. It's a powerful uh, experience just to Mm -hmm. tour the campus. Well, uh, we eventually ended up in a little park called Trophy Point. Uh, It looks out over the historic Hudson River. And we were touring in that little park, and I noticed a bench, a stone bench. But I kept looking further, and I noticed winding through the park, there were more benches. I counted them. There were 12. And that prompted me just to go over to one of the benches just to see what was going on with the bench. Well, I noticed at the end of the bench there was a word carved into the stone on both ends of the bench. And uh, I kept looking at all the benches, different words carved in, words like courage, like uh, loyalty, like integrity, like responsibility, like trust, those kind of words. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, gosh, there's got to be a backstory here. Well, sure enough, there was. Uh, The West Point class of 1934, on their 50th reunion, 1984, they donated those 12 benches as a gift to the school. And, And based on those men's experiences in World War II and Korea, Uh, They selected those 12 words that they felt were the most important words that they had learned in their military careers, and they wanted to pass them on to future generations. That was the backstory. And then I thought, I never knew all this. In fact, I'm not sure many people knew about it. So we went to the publisher, and I said, here's the idea. Uh, We could do a word, a chapter on each one of these different words. And then try and find a West Point graduate who best modeled through that particular word. Wow. They liked the idea. Uh, we, we began to work on it, and we were quite excited to find uh, these West Point 
graduates and where they fit. And then we began to search for unusual stories or uh, little tales about these men or women and where they might fit. We had a good time putting it together. And, and Brendan, right away, uh, we thought, boy, if Mike Krzyzewski, a West Point grad, could do the forward, boy, that would be great. <laughs> and, and immediately when we contacted Mike, he agreed to do it because he is uh, he's West Point through and through. Yes. Even to this day. So, Brendan, that's what happened. That's the background, the backdrop. And the book has been out for just a few moments, but uh, we're, we're greatly encouraged by the initial reaction. Well, I think I, I think uh, the coaches that we have that follow us on Coaching You are really going to get excited by that because so much we talk about in coaching is about culture, Pat, right? And, and, and culture starts with values, core values. So if we could, can you explain, you know, like t- compassion, how do, how do you how does compassion help? Let's take it in terms of maybe a coach or you know you know or any leader. Well, here's here's where we started in that first word. Compassion was on one of the benches, and we looked around and we thought, and we ended up writing about General Ulysses S. Grant. And people might say, Grant, Butcher Grant. <laughs> you know, who, who led the uh, Union forces, you know, toward the end of the war. But as you study Grant, he was a man of great compassion. Uh, he had great compassion for his soldiers. Uh, he, uh, he fretted over them. And, and his marriage, he had a marvelous marriage. He had a, a wife that he was just crazy about, and his children, and compassion there. Uh, he was very compassionate about Animals, particularly horses. Grant was a great horseman. Loved horses. And one day during the war, he's coming down a path, and he looks to the left, and there is a soldier, one of his soldiers, beating and whipping this horse unmercifully. Uh, Grant exploded with anger and went over to that soldier and threatened him with an inch of his life. And then, of course, Brennan, at the end of the war at Appomattox, uh, when uh, Robert E. Lee had surrendered, uh, Grant treated that whole time with enormous compassion. He recognized that, that, that the Southern forces were, were Americans, and he wanted uh, a reunion to take place quickly, and he, he treated uh, Lee's army with great compassion. Uh, let them take their horses home. Uh, he, he provided meals for 25,000 of those Southern soldiers. Wow. Told them to go on home and get the next crop in the ground. Most of them were farmers. And uh, it just was so compassionate. Uh, Maybe a better word, uh, Brendan, for the coaches is simply this. It's called people skills. Right. Great leaders have people skills. They care about people. They're interested in other people. They have a heart for people. They have empathy for people. Deep down, they love people. Uh, I think that's really what we're driving at here. I love it. How about, uh, you know, I think a word that nowadays you really need, whether it's in coaching or in life, is courage. Especially, you know, when you know something wrong is happening. But how did did they mean it at West Point? Well, let's just talk about that word, Brendan. Um, 
leaders have to make decisions. It's called boldness in leadership. And uh, it takes courage to make tough decisions. But if you do not have a man or a woman who's sitting in that top chair and, and unwilling or afraid to make tough decisions, well, those are organizations really that aren't going anywhere. They're, they're just spinning their wheels. And I think of uh, way back uh, at George W. in the White House. Yes. Uh, making that famous statement, I'm the decider. I, I, I decide what's right. I decide what to do. And every team, every organization must have a decider or, uh, or nothing's going to happen. So it takes courage to be a bold leader. And uh, obviously those, uh, those young men and women uh, at West Point uh, are being taught, you know, how to lead with courage. How about dedica dedication? Something you have shown over the years, my friend. Well, Brendan, dedication simply means uh, you are locked in. You are focused. Like uh, nothing wavers. Uh, you um, you have absolutely are living and breathing it. Uh, nothing's going to get in the way of your mission. Uh, you're totally, totally dedicated. It's a good word. Yeah, it's an important word. You're you're not wishy-washy. You're not here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, you're not saying, uh, "Oh boy, <clears throat> this guild is getting a little tough." You know, I think I'll go somewhere else. Uh, you're there. You're there for the count, and uh, people can count on you. Uh, they don't have to worry and wonder, you know, where's this guy or where's this lady going to go next? Dedication. It's a good word. Hey, you, I loved what you did with uh, the word determination and uh, the person that you used as an example. Would you share that? Well, this is where we introduce a woman. Yeah. And uh, her name was Maggie Dixon. And uh, she was determined to be a college basketball coach. She went to DePaul, cold turkey, applied, uh, chased down Coach Bruno until he had no choice but to finally figure out some way to, to put this gal to work. She wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and did such a good job that when the women's coaching job at Army came up, uh, she got the job. And she went there and did a terrific job, you know, building that program quickly. Uh, she even went to the males on the campus and said, listen, you need to come out to our games. Uh, you need to really give us a home court advantage uh, because uh, we need you. Well, they all bought in, and it became uh, quite a huge home court advantage. Well, not long thereafter, uh, Brandon, at the age of 27, uh, Maggie Dixon died of, uh, of a heart illness. Yeah, Just rocked that campus, just rocked it. And um, so when you go to West Point into the cemetery, you'll see the Maggie Dixon uh, Memorial site. Uh, I've been there. Uh, you'll see um, you'll see flowers. You'll, you'll see little basketballs left behind. You'll see some army pennants. Uh, we did a chapter on, on Maggie Dixon. And by the way, Brennan, I just read in Basketball Times an excerpt, excerpt 
from a new book that has just come out about Maggie Dixon. Wow. Uh, the, the, the book is um, out. It's published. New York, New York House did it. And that book is now available, and I'm, uh, I haven't got it yet. I did read that excerpt, but I'm, I'm very, very eager to get that book and, and learn more. But uh, we thought she fit in there perfectly. And, and, she's um, the, and she's the sister, of course, of Jamie, right, Dixon? That's right. Uh, head coach right. He was the head coach at yeah. TCU. Uh, that's, that's his sister. Um, she died young, but uh, Brenda, she left a mark. She sure and did. And is still, is still leaving a mark. Uh, she's still remembered up at West Point, even though she was there just a short time. Uh, she's remembered with uh, with great fondness. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Uh, A word that we... uh probably we need to get back into uh, a little bit of our cultures uh, in the world, not at West Point, of course, is dignity. Um, what did you learn there, Pat? But it isn't that uh, just pe- treating all people uh, with respect, uh, valuing the CEO as you do the janitor, mm-hmm. um, and not, not big-timing people, uh, reaching out to them and making making people feel important, uh, making people feel that they're part of things. Um, I, the, the word respect does come to mind, but you go out of your way to um, just be a class act. I like that they didn't pick that word class, but I think it's kind of associated with dignity. Yeah, uh, and you and you carry yourself with dignity. Uh, the way you dress, your actions, right? Yes, and the way you care for yourself, the way you, uh, the way you look, uh, the way you stand, the way you uh, engage with people. Um, so you need to have dignity as part of your life, so that you come across, you know, as really uh, a, a special human being. And and by the way, when I think of dignity, I I think of our friend Chuck Daly. Yes. I mean, he carried himself with great dignity, the way he dressed, uh, the way he had his hair prepared, uh, the way he uh, walked onto the court. Uh, just, just uh, Chuck was a man of dignity. He took great pride in how he looked and how he came across. And 
mm-hmm. how uh, how people viewed him. It was it was always a a great great sight to see Chuck at his zenith. You know, Chuck uh, Pat, uh, and you were so fond of him and such an important part of his life. But uh, the thing that about Chuck that people didn't know they saw the the great looking guy, the great looking clothes, and you know that. The guy that was on TV, you know, uh, and all the time, and the thing that uh, that people didn't know about him that I think really separated him from other coaches was he, he embraced everyone's job, you know, not just the people at, regarding our team, but if you worked in our franchise, you were important to him. Uh, but then the the thing that really separates me now that I see the way what's happening, he treated the media like. It was so important, and he used to say to me all the time, Brendan, they have a job to do, and my job is to help them do their job well. And and when we were coaching the Nets, he would say to me, finish up practice. And I said, what do you mean, finish up practice? He says, I'm going to talk to the media. And, and, you know, the New York media, uh, people are frightened of, and I'd do the last half hour of practice, and here he is out there, and having the time of his life with the toughest writers in the world, but they loved him because he was helping them and doing their job and wasn't scared of anything they asked him. That's dignity for them. Now, that's a great point, and, and that's, a, that's a good offering here, Brendan, that uh, any coach or executive in sports, uh, I uh, encourage them to be open to the media. You don't have to be best buds. Right. But but you sure have to be available. Uh, I see so many in, in our business now. Well, for example, the Knicks. I mean, the GM is available to the media three times a year. Think about that. Beginning of the season, mid-season, end of the year, those are the only three times that you're going to be permitted to talk to the GM. And now, the coach is there all the time. That, that's one thing. Brendan, when I was... Doing the day-to-day, um, I didn't screen my phone calls. You know, any media member who wanted to call me, I, I picked the phone up. I got that, by the way, from my um, my all-time mentor was Bill Vack, yeah. uh, the great baseball promoter. Uh, for 25 years, Bill was a real influence in my life, uh, a mentor. I never worked for him, but I was I was a student of Bill Vack. And, and Bill was uh, always available to the media. After the games, he'd have a big uh, party up in the Bard's room at, at Comiskey Park, you know, and they'd, they'd be up there swapping lies, and you know, the media was right there with him and enjoying the time. And uh, many was the columnist in Chicago or so who would come to Bill and say, Bill, I need a, I need a column for tomorrow. You got something for me? And Bill would come up with some outlandish story or idea, you know, and plant the seed with the writer. And, you know, he'd go on about it, and he, he now had something to write about in his column because Bill had, had given him something, you know, fresh and interesting. And uh, that's, I think that's the smartest thing in the world you can do. And, and the media is not going to puff you, but... But uh, in, in bad times, they're not going to be as harsh as they might have been. So th- th- a couple of quick thoughts. Well, no, I, I, I think it's so important. I think it's a point that uh, for people, you know, because coaches, you cannot feel that they're out to get you. You cannot be paranoid about them. 
uh, we used to approach it with Chuck as they are giving us so much free publicity. Take advantage of it. They're willing to oh, give yes. us all the advertising we want, and you were a master at it, and I think it's important. Pat, discipline. And, and, and yeah, Brandon, go ahead. let me I'm say sorry. one other thing. Sure. Uh, many of those writers are know more than what's going on than you do. <laughs> uh, that's why I always would love to spend time with Bob Ryan. Yes. When he was covering the Celtics, the, the, my, my dear friend Phil Jasner, who covered the oh, 76ers love, love Phil. for the Philly, Philly Daily News for decades, and died too young, but Phil was wonderful to talk to. Off the record, you know, you just you just talk basketball with him because he and then share stuff. It was wonderful. When I, uh, I when I went to the Pistons uh, back in the front office when after uh, after Magic actually, uh, and Joe Dumars took over as president, and I was running day to day, and Phil Jasner called me up one day and he said, "Brendan, off the record." are you trading for Alan I- Iverson? <laughs> I said, yes. And he says, okay, that's great. I said, Phil, that was off the record. <laughs> and he said, oh, shoot, yeah. But you know what? And he never wrote it. Yeah. You know, yeah, but, you know that, that's the type of relationship we had with those guys back then. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. There was, the word is trust. Yeah. And uh, that's an important part if you're, if you're running any operation. Yeah. Uh, you've got to have trust across the board. Now, you, my friend, are one of the most disciplined human beings in the world uh, as far as the, the ultimate runner, marathon runner, and all that good stuff when you were a baby. Uh, but, uh, you know, how important, and I know how important, but talk about discipline, the West Point way, and then the way you see it for a coach. Well, listen, <clears throat> Bobby Knight who started his coaching career at West Point, yeah. uh, has said this, discipline is doing what has to be done. Mm-hmm. Doing it when it has to be done. Doing it the best it can be done. And doing it that way every time you do it. <laughs> Pretty good definition. Simple, yeah. And and and, and it, it, the word word really is self discipline. You see, in raising our children <clears throat> up to a certain point, uh, we are providing the discipline. Here are the rules of the house. Here's what we expect. Here's the punishment if you break the rules. I mean, we do all the disciplining. But eventually, if 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 young people coming up, you know in into their teens or late teens, if they have not learned self-discipline, they're going to be in trouble uh, because at 18, they're leaving. They go to college, they go into the military, they go to work. Uh, those really are the three options, unless you're a bonus baby in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you have not learned to discipline yourself when you become a young adult, well, uh, other authorities are going to have to do do it instead. Brendan, every uh, prison in our country is filled with young men, primarily, who couldn't discipline themselves, who, who couldn't say no when the gang is all saying, let's go do this. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, the kid knew it was not the right way to go, but he just he could not self-discipline himself to... Um, do the right thing. 
And now the authorities have to discipline him because he couldn't discipline himself. And so the parents have a big job, big, big job in raising your children uh, about the importance of building discipline into their lives so that at 18, they know how to say yes when it's the right thing to do. Above all, saying no when they know it's the wrong way to go, but they're just either intimidated or peer pressure or something. Um, Self-discipline is is an enormous part of being an effective human being. Pat, integrity is (laughs) sometimes I wonder where it's gone, right? I mean, and the people that have it, boy, we value them so highly. Obviously a cornerstone of West Point and leadership, but how did your research prove out? Well, Brendan, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, a West Point graduate, put it this way. He said the supreme quality for leadership is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter whether it's on a section gang, a football field, in an army, or in an office. That, that's a quote from Eisenhower. Uh, integrity, Brian, it comes from the root word integer, uh, which means one, uh, it leads to a word like integrated, and integrated society is one society. So uh, a leader of integrity, well, they're walking talk match. Uh, they're not walking one way or talking one way and then walking in the opposite direction. I ran into Ken Whitten, who for many years was Tony Dungy's pastor in Tampa. And Ken said to me, here's the deal with Coach Dungy. The tongue in his mouth is always pointing in the same direction as the tongue in his shoes. And then Ken added, he said, whenever Tony has left a city after coaching there, he said that city is better off for him having been there. Uh, integrity, boy, it's a, it's a key word. Now, mentioning Eisenhower, we write in the book that uh, Ike was in the Philippines, this would be in the 1930s. Uh, he uh, was serving there under uh, Douglas MacArthur, and there were other generals there. Well, the, the Philippine government was just so grateful and thankful to the United States for sending those men there that they wanted to do something for them. So they decided uh, to, to give those uh, generals, some of the generals, some very meaningful amounts of money. Uh, they gave MacArthur uh, half a million dollars. Oh. It, was, it was not illegal. It, you know, Eisenhower had a significant offer to him. He declined. He turned it down. He said, I just don't feel right about it. He said, I'm, I'm getting paid. And, and he turned it down. Now, Brendan, back in the 1930s, I don't know what the amount could have been, $100,000, $200,000. I mean, that that back then was like millions. Sure. Uh, But Eisenhower um, uh, and and the other generals, as I said, they they were not wrong. They they were free to do that. But Ike just didn't feel good about it. He thought it threatened his integrity. He declined. Interesting. Boy, boy. (laughs) We we could do a whole book on that. we always talk about loyalty, uh, you know, as in sports, loyalty is huge to our country, to our family, etc. But how did they define it at West Point for you? 
Uh, Brendan, I think it starts with respect. Up and down the line. Uh, when there's respect in an organization or on a team, uh, you've got something really special. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have learned respect leads to trust. And when you have trust in an organization, that, that bond is getting stronger. But it goes on. Trust then leads to loyalty. Uh, loyalty means that you're, uh, you're in there. You can always be counted on. Uh, I can always depend on you. I, I don't have to worry if you're going to vanish on me, particularly in tough times. I always used to think that, that that's where it would end, but then I, I have learned since that loyalty then leads to love. And when you've got a leader who really understands, uh, you know, the, this issue of love in an organization, how important it is, uh, you, you are really building something powerful. Respect leads to trust, leads to loyalty, leads to love. And I always used to think, that's it, can't go any further than that. <clears throat> but now, uh, I think you need to add another step, and that's simply called Friendship. Uh, love leads to friendship. And as I study uh, great organizations, great teams, particularly in sports, the love that remains <clears throat> among these players is, is just phenomenal. Uh, the Green Bay Packers would be a great example. You know, long after their playing days, these guys still care about each other. Uh, they're still in touch. They're still loved at permeates all of their lives. They're all in their 80s now. Uh, they're, they're starting to pass away, but, but that love has never, never left. Um, take that 1969 Cubs team, you know, that just missed out, but I, I, I know those guys, many of them, uh, Fergie Jenkins and Billy Williams and Tony Kessinger and Randy Hundley and all, um, they're still connected. You know, there's still love that permeates those guys. It's a beautiful thing. And um, loyalty stands right there in the middle. Does that, does that all make sense? Oh, yeah. No, without, no, I think it's so, so important. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just something that I think uh, in this modern day and age of uh, young people, I, I, I worry most about them uh not understanding these essential core values. Perseverance is one that really, if things don't happen right away for young people, Pat, old Brendan has seen his kids all of a sudden get discouraged, and all of a sudden they don't. My son, when he was a golfer, he missed a, uh, hit a drive into the woods. Uh, I, I don't want to play this game anymore, you know, after spending hundreds of hours on it. Perseverance, how did, how did they see it at West Point? Well, it means you're, uh, you're, you're going to stick with it. You're not quitting. Yeah. Um, you're, you're going to, you're going to see it out. You, uh, you're going to persevere. You're going to hang in there. Uh, you're going to keep, uh, keep focused on, on through the tough times. Uh, the apostle Paul way back, Brendan made an interesting statement. He said, be not weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. That's how Paul put it. 
Um, let me tell you a quick Brian Piccolo story. I was at Wake Forest. Yeah, I was a right. se- senior when Brian Piccolo was a freshman. He went on and had a wonderful career there, an All-American career. He was not drafted, but the Bears signed him as a free agent. He made their team. I remember George Hallis saying he was not a great player, but he was a great teammate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Gail Sayers roomed together yep. for Summit. For Summer Black and White had room together. Anyway, I arrived in Chicago in the fall of 1969 as the GM of the Bulls. Uh, Brian was there. We were re- reunited in uh, Chicago for a while. But it was that winter, it was announced that he had cancer in his chest. Ugh. And uh, that, that could be dealt with today, but back then it couldn't. And uh, in June of 1970, uh, he passed away, uh, leaving behind a young wife and three small daughters. Anyway, uh, during that period before he died, Brian had a business card printed up, and he handed it out to people that he encountered. And uh, it simply said on the card, you can't quit. It's a league rule. <laughs> I still have the card. How about that? Yeah, so I think that's good advice, yes, you know, for, for anybody. You know, when you're into something, a baseball term, bull your neck. You know, that's what that's what managers back when I was playing, they would yell at you, bull your neck now, come on now. That that, that means you're, um, you're really grinding, you know, you're really into it. You're not going to back out. You're not going to back down. I like the term, bull your neck. I do too. I'm going to use that. Who can borrow that from you, Williams? Let's hear from one of our latest sponsors, Max One. As you know by now, Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows your team to train, communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. With all these useful features for one low price, I can't emphasize enough the value Max One can bring to your program, especially as the summer months heat up and you continue to plan your off-season. I know how hard it is to keep your athletes engaged once summer hits and your team starts to head in different directions. I'm confident Max One can solve these problems for you and keep your program connected to help ensure you run the most effective off-season as possible. Max One allows you to create individualized workouts for each player on your team with videos attached and deliver them right into your athlete's phone, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts. And you can then combine these workouts into an entire off-season program tailor-made to fill the weeks leading up to your season so that your athletes stay in the gym all summer long. You can even track your athletes' progress on the Max One leaderboards to see the work your team is putting in, keeping everyone on the team accountable while encouraging a culture of competition. I also love how the calendar feature allows you to keep everyone in your program on the same page. Workouts, schedules, open gym, or tournament games can all be organized via color-coded schedules, ensuring your athletes are in the loop with details on whatever events you have planned this summer. To learn more about how Max One can help you run your program this off-season, head to their website at gomaxone.com. That's go, M-A-X, one, O-N-E, dot com. And schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. As always, mention that Coach Brendan Sir sent you and receive a special discount if you decide to purchase. Again, visit www.gomax1.com right now to schedule a free demo. You won't be disappointed. 
Uh, how about responsibility, my friend? You have an awful lot of that with your uh, siblings at home. Uh, here's what we did. Uh, we feature Mike Krzyzewski there. And Mike tells this story that he was a plebe at West Point, 17 years old, I guess. And it's a, it's a January day, very yucky and cold and sloppy. And he's walking to his next class with his roommate. His shoes are perfect. His uniform crisp. And uh, suddenly, in the, in, the, in the walk, somebody steps in a pile of gook, and it splashes all over Brian's shoes. And he has to make a decision. Do I dart back to my room and fix this, or do I try and get to the next class and deal with it there? And wouldn't you know, uh, he is intercepted at that point by a upperclassman, an mm-hmm. officer, who stops him challenges him on his shoes and and uh, Mike begins to say but I was just walking across the campus and an upperclassman stepped in and he was interrupted harshly by this officer who said at West Point, young man when challenged you have one of three answers, yes sir, no sir no excuse, sir and uh, to this day, Coach Shea is now in his early 70s yes uh, but he would tell you that that lesson way back really was a turning point in his life, particularly as a young leader. He said, uh, from that point on, I took this position. This was done well, and I did it. This was done poorly, and I did it. But in either case, uh, I am responsible. Uh, I'm not going to blame others. I am not going to point fingers. I am not going to develop a case of instant amnesia mm-hmm. when when something when something doesn't go right. Uh, I am responsible. And uh, Mike said that that uh, situation has never left him. Good point here, Brian, uh, uh, Brendan, and that is do not waste stories or incidents that happen in your life. Uh, they all have value. Yeah. Uh, even if the, even if, the, if, if it's a negative thing, but, uh, but save those stories, remember them because it's those little incidents really that, that help to form our life. I use your, uh, index card system. still, my friend to, uh, put my stories down to save them. Good. Yeah. It's fabulous. You know, Mike, Brendan, Brendan, I tell leaders everywhere, save your stories. Yep. Uh, write them down. Don't trust your memory. Not at my uh, age. Keep, nope. Not at my know, age. I ain't trusting keep, them. <laughs> keep, keep, keep them filed, you know, because we are hardwired to retain stories, not PowerPoints. Yes. Uh, thank thank yeah. goodness. Hey, uh, we, uh, love, we love know, stories. They're the you, best teaching tool there is. Coach K, who is, you know, one of my dearest friends, um, you know, one of the things that after his, uh, you know, he had the Olympic experience with Chuck and I with the Dream Team. And then, you know, he has then gone on to be our greatest uh, men's coach ever. And one of the things that I love, and then Mike wrote the great book, The Gold Standard. And, uh, you know, building teams. And if you remember his 12 or 13 standards that he recommends, number one, and you just prompted it, was no excuses. 
Mm. No matter what. There's no excuses, men. Can't blame the refs. Can't blame that we're playing in China. Can't blame yeah. anything. And he and he said right away that gets rid of any anything. And all of a sudden, it it allows them to focus better. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So simple. Hey, Brendan, I, I got to tell you this quickly. I got a call uh, from the old referee Dick Bavetta. My and, dear friend. Uh, he, he's, here, he's retired up in Ocala, Florida. <laughs> Special guy, 39 years refing in the NBA. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, Dick, what would happen if, if you really knew that you had missed a call and, and the coaches are just just ready to, to attack you? I said, how did you deal with that? <laughs> and he said, I would uh, run over in front of him and I would just say softly, I think I missed that call. He said, I think I missed that call. And uh, immediately it was defused. Yes. He said they would sit down and that was the end of it. <laughs> Good statement. He's one I of the very call. best because of his people skills. Oh, wasn't he something? And the other referees were very jealous of him because I called him the mayor. Chuck and I, we called him the mayor because everyone loved him. Everyone loved him. He's like Buddy no. Dyer, right? You know, everyone loved him, and and you know, and no matter what happened, so he missed more calls that he would tell us he blew. And what are we going to say? Hundred percent. That's okay, Dick. But you, I loved him because of that, and he, and he just loved people. He loved his business. What did oh, yes. three thousand games in a row he refed? I mean, some ridiculous thing. Oh. You know, love remarkable, it. remarkable. How about and, and, how about and serving? A worthy, and a worthy Hall of Famer, a worthy Hall oh, of Famer. Oh, by far, absolutely. How about service, Pat? Uh, Brendan, let me talk to you about that for a minute. I believe that we serve first, and then we lead. Serve first. Yep. Another another way of putting that word is uh, a servant's heart. Yes. Uh, great, great leaders really understand that they are not there uh, to build their resume, uh, to advance their uh, status in life, uh, that they're not there to um, dominate or intimidate, crush people. Uh, the great ones understand that they are there uh, in a role to serve. And and when a servant leader comes along, Brendan, we never forget them. Mm -hmm. From from Jesus to Wilberforce, to um, to God, from Gandhi to um, Mandela, to uh, Billy Graham to Coach Wooden, uh, to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt to Mother Teresa. Wow. Uh, uh, from Billy Graham to. Um, Ronald Reagan, you know, they, these men and women had this servant's mentality that uh, allowed them to do things that you never could have done otherwise. So I, I, I get the sense at West Point that that's a piece of leadership that they want to promote. They wanted to, adva they wanted to advance. Um, I remember years ago, uh, Rick Warren uh, wrote that best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. The first sentence of the book is, it's not about you. <laughs> uh, that, that's how the book opens. Yep. 
It's not about you. And when when servant-hearted leaders really grasp that concept, uh, Brendan, that's when things really happen. Can can I go? What, yeah, can I? I want to uh, people. I want our coaches to understand this, Pat. Uh, again, because of our history, uh, you have nineteen children, and you can't be an all about you leader. It's got to be all about them, right? It's not about oh, you, I, the person, Pat, the, the Hall of Famer, Pat Williams. It's about those 19 kids and the 17 grandchildren, right? Oh, Brendan, I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, we, have a, we have an obligation to, uh, you know, in many ways to serve our children, to get them ready for a successful life, hopefully a life of leadership. Um, uh, let me just add this. Uh, where is leadership taught or is it caught? Well, it starts in the home, and and it, it definitely is caught. Uh, don't forget, parents, your children are watching you like a hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they remember everything you do. They remember every word that you say. Uh, Brendan, I could sit here with you and tell you just about everything my mom and dad would ever, ever had said to me growing up. <laughs> and that was, uh, what was that? That was, uh, well, that was 60 years ago. So parents, uh, and I keep telling them, keep investing in your kids, keep investing. Even though you don't think you're getting any feedback, just keep investing. <laughs> keep, planning your, keep planning your values. Let, let them keep hearing your voice. Uh, just keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. And then, oh, I don't know, when they're maybe late 20s, you begin to hear your wonderful stuff. Yeah. You know, Dad, uh, you were right about that. Yeah. Or, or, you know, Mom, when you used to tell me all the time about this, 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 and this, well, guess what? I, I believe it now. Because, you know, because they're out on their own. Maybe they have families of their own. And, and now they're beginning to, you know, see, see life through uh, different glasses. You know, uh, boy, you prompted some things right there, you know. And I think uh, that leads to me to, our, you know, I think West Point, might be as good, a, and, and all the academies, I shouldn't say just them, of course, Annapolis and the Air Force Academy, but oh, what, yes. what they're teaching, uh, it's the ultimate team, uh, and, and the ultimate coaches are teaching those guys. But what I found out in doing my research is the way they teach their uh, cadets, they, the way they bring them through each year is a different way of teaching them is brilliant but it all comes down to at the end the most important component of a team or of a leader is that of trust well brendan let's uh let's talk about that for a minute um if you don't have trust among people you know uh, you're gonna break downs all the way through mm-hmm. uh many years ago uh, the dallas mavericks came to orlando for a game, and uh, Bob Ortigal, longtime college coach who was then a, a television analyst for the Mavericks, uh, he saw me and he waved me over and he said to me, Pat, he said, I finally have figured out basketball. I said, Bob, what, what do you mean? He said, Well, here's what I've figured out. He said, If I have the ball and I pass it over to you, I trust you enough to pass it back to me if I end up more open than you. (laughs) 
and 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 then he stopped. And I said, Brian, uh, I said, Brendan, what, uh, what, uh, I said, Bob, what, what's that mean? He said, well, I said, say that again. Well, if I have the ball and I pass it to you, I trust you that you'll get it back to me if uh, I'm, I'm more open than you. And he said, that's all there is to basketball. I said, wow. Uh, and I underlined the word trust. And, and think about it, I, I, you know, you don't know what's going through a player's head all the time, Brandon, but most of the time it is, uh, I got I to get me a shot. You know, I've got to get some shots up here. You know, I'm, I'm having a bad night, I got to, and they start forcing things and doing things they shouldn't. But I, I, I love that little phrase from Bob Ortegal. How about that? He said, it's very simple. That's all there is to it. Simplicity is the key to execution, Pat. Absolutely. And and, and trust (laughs) enough that I can get it over to you if you're wide open. And I I would have to force up a shot, but I can get it to you because uh, you're open and and there's trust that's built among these athletes. Good good insights, I think, probably uh, to every level far beyond basketball. Absolutely. Uh, Pat, you know, for some of our coaches that aren't as familiar, to have even a concept of some of the players that you've been involved with over the years, best forward you well, ever were with. Well, I got into the NBA 51 years ago. I was in Philadelphia for the 68-69 season. By the way, that was 19, just 19 years after the NBA as we know it was formed. In the 49-50 season, 19 years later, I arrived. Uh, now, that was a team with Dr. Jack Ramsey. Yeah. This was a team with Billy Cunningham and Chet Walker. Wow. Luke Jackson and Hal Greer and uh, Wally Jones. Then I, then I went to Chicago as the GM of the Bulls, and we traded for Chet Walker, and he joined Bob Love up front. We had Tom Borwinkle in the middle. Uh, Jerry Sloan and uh, Norm Van Leer was the guard line. Wow. And th- and after four years, I went to Atlanta for for a year with with Cotton Fitzsimmons, the coach. And and there was Pistol Pete Maravich. <laughs> and, there, and there was Lou Hudson. And there was the immortal Walter Bellamy in the uh. middle. Then I came back to Philadelphia, and I was there for 12 years. And uh, eventually, we, we drafted... Uh, Daryl Dawkins and uh, and Lloyd Free, and we lured Caldwell Jones from the ABA, and we made a huge deal to bring George McGinnis across to, to us. And in 1976, we made the six million dollar deal to bring Julius Irving uh, to Philadelphia. Uh, we eventually traded uh, for uh, Bobby Jones from Denver. We drafted Maurice Cheeks on the second round, and we took Andrew Tony on the first round. And, and then in 1982, we lured Moses Malone to Philadelphia uh, to, to get us into the promised land, which he did. <laughs> After 12 years, I moved to uh, Orlando to help start the Magic up as an expansion team. Uh, Nick Anderson was our first draft choice. Dennis Scott was our second draft choice. And in 1992, we won the lottery, and that produced Shaquille O'Neal. And a year later, in a miraculous lottery miracle, we won it again, and that produced 
Penny Hardaway. Eventually, in free agency, we, we lured Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill to Orlando. And then in 2004, we uh, won the draft lottery again and took an 18-year-old high school center from Atlanta named Dwight Howard, who did who did wondrous things here uh, for us in, in his youth. Yeah. So so that's uh, uh, and one thing I missed, uh, I forgot. I should have hit it. 1984, we had the fifth pick in the NBA draft in Philadelphia. And that was the year that uh, the immortal uh, Charles Barkley <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yep. drifted to us with the fifth pick. That was the Michael Jordan, uh, Akeem Olajuwon draft. Yep. Uh, they went one, two. Or two one, yeah, one, two. Michael went three, I uh, think, we, right? Uh, Sam with Sam Perkins, Bowie? Yeah. Uh, Sam Bowie went... Uh, Portland. Uh, two, and yeah, you're right, and Michael went three, and then uh, Sam Perkins went five. He, he was the fourth pick, and then and then Charles was there at five, and we took him. This remarkable six-foot-four, 292-pound miracle, <laughs> the, the great Charles Barkley. Did you ever think he would become the the incredible Emmy award-winning announcer he is? Had no doubts. Yeah. Had no doubts. He, he, he had that personality. He had that flair as a very young guy when we first met him. Um, you know, you could, you could spar with him verbally back then yep. to your delight. And I always, you know, we, we were always worried about his weight. You know, we thought he'd be better around 250. Yeah. Uh, eventually he got down into that area, but we kept saying to him, Charles, 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 a balanced meal is <laughs> two big Macs in both your hands. <laughs> I said, Charles, you, you've got to get in shape. And he would say to me, Mr. Williams, round is a shape. <laughs> uh, I, I remember once going down to the, to the beach at Ocean City with him and my kids were screaming, we, we want to go in the ocean, Daddy. We want to go in the ocean. I said, you can't go now because Charles is using it. <laughs> anyway, he, he has provided me many delightful moments. Uh, and, and, then, and then, Brendan, you recall, way back, he, he announced he wanted to get into politics. Uh, he wanted to become uh, the governor of Alabama. Yes. And I said, Charles, why is it that you want to get into the gubernatorial race? And he said, because I want to be the governor, <laughs> said Charles. So, so no, um, uh, nothing he says or does surprises no, me. And, that is so great. And, he, and, he, and he's very refreshing to listen to because you're going you're gonna to get unvarnished Charles. Yes. Yeah, yes. Charles Barkley turned loose. Brendan, how do you think we've done for the last hour? I'll tell you what, it, it, you know, it just flies, man. I'll tell you what, I think we're going for a second hour. But let me let me wrap up by saying, first of all, it was an honor and a dream to, to work with you in Orlando. I wish I could have done 30 years with you. Would have had more than two championships. Uh, but you're you're just incredible. You're, uh, Chuck loved you so much, and... Uh, and I know it was mutual, and uh, and so that was just so great to watch the two of you be together again. But uh, you know, I, I you're probably and you gave us a little tease at the end there, my friend. Uh, one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my life, 
and one of the funniest. But if, uh, if people wanted to, you know, to, to get you to speak to their team or group, how could they do that? Hey, Brendan, let me just leave my uh, my uh, email address. Sure. Williams at orlandomagic.com. P. Williams at orlandomagic.com. I always love to hear from uh, from people. Okay. And uh, I always get back to them. I'll always uh, respond. So. Oh, thank you. And, and, and let's talk about this book, Character Carved in Stone, uh, that Jim Denny, who's been so good over the years with you on your books, where can they get that? Brendan, it's in bookstores in the business section. Okay. Bar- Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, um, Character Carved in Stone, go up to Amazon. Yes. Uh, or barnesandnoble.com. Uh, you'll have the book in, what, two days? Um, good way to order books. But I'd love to go into the bookstores, Brian. Uh, I'd, I'd, love, to I'd love to, too. I, I love to browse. I like to see what else, what's new out there. I like to see what's going on in the in the book world. Well, you've only but, done uh, 100 books. You're going to get it right sooner or later, my friend. You're, yes. You're yeah, absolutely the, the best. What a treat it was is, for us to have you on. Thank you, B. We'll, we'll talk soon. Keep me posted. I appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. Bye-bye. Thanks a million. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. <laughs>